Welcome to Outside Source Football. This is a show about what's going on inside the NFL. Your hosts, Evan Mick and Ty Ruddy, bring the latest predictions and updates from the league. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to 1017 Radio Free Hillsdale, Outside Source Football. My name is Evan Mick, and these next two weeks, unfortunately, I am not joined here by Ty Ruddy. He is busy, so it's just me, but today I will be covering my top 12 offensive linemen and all the recent free agency news. So here we go, we're just going to jump right into it with number 12. So my number 12 offensive lineman is Darnell Wright, the tackle out of Tennessee. He's listed at 6'5", 335. So he's a decent run blocker, especially when blocking D tackles or edges right in front of him, so not out in space. He'll miss the occasional linebacker, but overall an above average run blocker, and obviously he's a pretty big guy standing at 6'5", 335. The problem with his pass blocking is not that he's not fast enough, that he might get beat with speed, but it's that instead he gets so high because he's worried about getting beat with speed, possibly, that could be why, that he can get pushed right back into the quarterback, which is honestly worst-case scenario because as a quarterback you don't want the pocket to collapse on you because then you have no chance of escaping. So if your offensive linemen are the one getting hit back into you, that's literally the worst thing that could happen. But I could see a technique change and move him to guard because of his size. But for me, he projects more of a tackle because that problem that he has would be more of a problem at guard where the players are stronger and more likely to push back it, push you back into the quarterback because they're defensive tackles and not defensive edges. Not that there aren't huge, strong defensive edges, but there's more speed defensive edges than there are D tackles because defensive tackles have to be strong. He is strong, though, very strong. Like, I, I see the upside. Uh, one added note that I had is I thought he was a better at pass blocking in obvious passing situations. Like on a third down and long, when he knew that he was going to pass that, he was great at pass blocking. He didn't let anybody buy him. He didn't get too high. He stayed low, had great technique. But on first and second down, for some reason, he just didn't focus on the technique. I don't know if it was because he was leaned back further or leaned forward further when he was in his set position or what it was, but it just at third down, he was just slightly better at pass blocking. At my number 11 spot for offensive lineman, I have Osiris Torrance, the guard out of Florida. He's listed at 6'5", 330, and you really don't want this guy to get hands on you and square you up. You will lose. But he does fail to square up players a lot, which can lead to problems. He's a very strong guard. Most people have him ranked as their number one guard, I was not a huge fan of him, although I'm not a huge fan of their entire guard draft class. I just I don't see the talent there. But he's a decent pass blocker. He's decently fast. He's not the smartest. I'd wish he'd help on double teams more. He likes to try and get skinny and get right past the D tackle instead of helping his other offensive linemen, which may be because he isn't fast, but that avoiding defensive tackles or edge rushers that are in his way in order to get to his person he's supposed to be blocking is not something that I'm a fan of, and I just don't see him as that highest-ranked guard that a lot of other people see him as. At number 10, I have Anton Harrison. He's the tackle out of Oklahoma. He's listed at 6'4", 315. He's solid all around. He's good at everything, but he's not really great at anything. He's a day-one type starter, but probably not a franchise left tackle. I see him starting at right tackle on a lot of teams, 
probably mid-second round pick. Good fit for like the Bengals, who need offensive linemen. Obviously, they picked up some offensive line help in free agency. But a guy like this in the second round, where you don't have to use a first-round pick at this guy, and then putting him at right tackle, you'd probably be very happy with that. At number nine, I have Andrew Voorhees, Voorhees the guard out of USC. He's listed at 6'6", 310. He has a very good first step. But even better is his ability to turn people after he's engaged in run blocking. He's a superstar in pass blocking as far as guards go, although he doesn't do a great job of passing people off and moving on to the next guy sometimes. He isn't great at climbing to backer, but it's not something that he was asked to do a lot. So it might not be his fault, and it might be easily fixable with a lot more reps. It's not something he was asked to do a lot because with Caleb Williams, they ran a lot of RPOs, which means that if he goes straight to backer, he'll get an illegal lineman downfield penalty, which obviously you can't have. So at number eight, I have Nick Broker, the guard out of Old Miss. He's really good at taking guys out of the play, which for him does not necessarily mean down the field, although he can push guys down the field. I've seen him do it on film. He sometimes, like, if a guy's coming at him and he's completely on his right side, he'll retreat, even in a run block, he'll retreat a step or two and then try to pin him to the right, which he's very successful at. It's a very something I haven't seen out of a lot of guys but it works really, really well for him. He has a very good pad level. He's okay as a pulling guard. Guard's obviously super not, not super fast, but neither is he. He's good at double teaming and reaching the second level when necessary. Well, once again, another guy who doesn't do it a lot, but that's very important and a very underrated aspect of college players' games is how important reaching that, sorry, how important double teaming is. Because there are a lot of players like um, the guard out of Florida or or Cyrus Torrance who just kind of ignore the double team or who are unsuccessful while trying to double team. And then there's guys who are good at double team, which is something that a lot of people are good at, but not all of them. And if you're not, it's a huge hole in your game, and it's not a huge hole in this guy's game. And that's why Nick Broker is number eight. At number seven, I have Oluwani Olotami. The center out of Michigan, he's listed at 6'3", 310. He is so smart. He is great at passing off his block and immediately getting on a new block. He is not a tank that will just move a guy out of the way, though. I will say, if your O-line is bad because it doesn't have a leader or communication, so it's not a skill issue where these O-linemen can't block, but instead it's the fact that they're always either blocking the wrong guy or they're missing their assign uh, missing their assignments this guy should be like near the top of your draft board because he has excellent communication you watch the games in Michigan you can tell that he knows everybody's block not just his own he knows your block and if you need help he'll tell you what your block is he points out blocks before the play a lot you, you'll see it happen all the time people will be like seeming kind of a little bit confused, like they'll look up at him, and he'll just point to a dude, and, and it'll be the right guy almost every time. So I will say he's phenomenal at staying engaged versus hand fights. He's more like a wall where you can't really get past him or blow him up, but he doesn't. he's not like a bull who's going to move you out of the way. At number six, sorry, his my sixth point, 
I have that he would do really well in a zone scheme where the back is reading the hole more often because he doesn't have to move a guy out of, and turn in them a specific way, which a lot of NFL teams are a zone scheme. So then that way he doesn't have to open up a specific hole. He doesn't have to open up the A-gap to his left immediately and make sure that his guy is facing a certain way. He can just block the guy in front of them and take them where he wants so then he's not as reliant on his strength, which is not his strong suit. At number six, I have Steve Avila, a guard out of TCU, listed at 6'4", 330. So I watched a lot of game, or a couple, not a lot. I watched a couple games of Steve Avila, and my favorite game of him is, even though he is played center for most of the year, was when he played guard against Georgia. So that's why I have him listed as a guard. He's 6'4", 330, which is pretty much average for a guard, which is in the NFL average size for a lineman is really good because it means you're not too big where you're slow and it means you're not too small where you're going to get bullied so he's very talented he's quick for his size on the first step which is very important for a guard or a center I mean it makes sense why he is a center and it makes sense why a team would draft him as a center but I see him as a guard he will block a guy right into the running lane at times which is obviously a huge issue because it's going to get running back tackled but he's one of the best pass-blocking guards I've seen, which, once again, for a guard, is not as important. But in the game against Georgia, he did better against Jalen Carter than his own teammates did on a double team. So he, obviously, Jalen Carter, top five pick probably. Phenomenal talent, generational talent, and he fared, his, he fared well against him. He looked pretty good. I mean, he didn't get blown into the backfield. He didn't get hit into um, Max Duggan. I mean, he can get bull rushed at times, but against Jalen Carter, he fared really well, and it's that shows a lot in terms of talent because not a lot of players do. So he can get bull rushed at time because he gets high. Not super common occurrence, though. And Max Duggan did have a lot of deep dropbacks, so it's possible that him getting high and knowing that he can get bull rushed and not get pushed into Max Duggan is okay because he doesn't see it as a problem because the bull rushing isn't going to affect him because no matter if he gets four yards in the backfield, five yards in the backfield, it won't really matter because Max Duggan is not five yards in the backfield. He's seven yards in the backfield. So it's a possibility that he's not getting high on purpose, but he's much more worried about the speed because even if he does get bull rushed, he won't get hit back into the quarterback. So it's a possibility that this is not a problem at all in the NFL. Obviously, he did play center most of the year, which I've already talked about, but I absolutely loved him at guard. He's versatile enough to play either, which gives a player a little bit more value, but not a lot because you can't play both. You can only play either. At number five, I have Dewan Jones out of Ohio State. He played right tackle for them, and he's listed. He's huge. This guy, <laughs> he's listed at 6'8", 378. That's not oversizing him. Like that was his. That was his combine measurements. 6'8", 378. And he's fast for his size. Now, he probably won't be an NFL tackle. He's huge, 378, extremely strong. but And he is fast for his size, but he's 378. He's not fast enough, really, to play offensive tackle. And he's more than capable of playing guard. He just lays people out with no effort. I mean, he is about 380. Not the best balance, but strength is a 10 out of 10. He gets a lot of pancake blocks. 
He's pretty slow to reach blocks, but moving him to guard will help that because you won't have to get around an edge rusher, so you won't have to be quite as fast. It won't show his speed quite as much. I do think he needs to do a better job at staying engaged. So he tries to knock players off balance every single play and pancake them instead of getting hands-on and not letting them escape. It would make his game 100 times better if he was more worried about keeping engaged the block than he was about pancake blocking. Because he does get a lot of pancakes, and he's very successful. But there will be times where he'll bump a guy forward, and then they'll use their speed to go around him because now they're about a yard and a half away from him. And now they've diagnosed the whole play. And it could just be a problem in the NFL, but I don't really see it being. I think this is a pretty easy fix, and so he is my number five. So before I get to number four, there's three guys on here. Number four is one of them that are clearly the top three offensive tackle prospects, especially if Dewan Jones is considered a guard, which I think by most teams he will be. So these top three tackle prospects will probably all be taken relatively close together. They all have different skill sets, not saying that Obviously, I have ranked them. I have decided for myself which ones are better. But they're not all that separable. They all have different upside, different downside. So at number four, I have Broderick Jones out of Georgia. He's listed at 6'4", 310. He is agile, which makes him very, very good in pass setting. But he often allows his base to become too narrow, and he can get bull rushed because of it. He's good at getting into position of reach blocks. Him, also out of the three of them, is the youngest because he's a redshirt sophomore, I believe. So he's only played two years, really, of college football, where the other guys are at least juniors or, like, actual juniors who have played three full years or seniors. I can't remember how old the other two are, but I know that they're older than him in terms of amount of years played at football in college. At number three, so this isn't the order that I think they'll get drafted in, and this is an order in more of talent-wise, because I think that Broderick Jones will get drafted before this guy. And I think that there's good reason for that, because this guy's a center, and tackles are way more valuable than centers. But this guy is just such a phenomenal prospect that I couldn't really leave him outside the top three. This is John Michael Schmitz, the center out of Minnesota. He's listed at 6'3", or 6'4", I'm sorry, 300, and I just have very few complaints. I mean, his pad level can get a little high immediately after the snap, but that's a problem that every player has time to time. His first step is good, not great, which is an important step of being a center when doing reach blocks, but it is good, and it's more than serviceable. But other than that, he's smart, which centers obviously need to be. He's probably the smartest people on the field, very underrated in intelligence normally. He'll chip block, then get to his guy. He's strong. His combo blocks are nice. I mean, they're a reason why he's by far the number one center. And he's the number one center on like 99% of ESPN analysts' boards. He does a very good job of just squaring up guys, which, as I said, that one center from Florida had a problem with. He's actually the opposite. He's phenomenal at it. He squares up people, and he'll make sure that you won't get to the running back because he's going to stay engaged with you. So at number two, I have Peter Skronowski. So there's a lot of talk of Peter Skronowski becoming a guard in the NFL, which is possible. So the thing is, is the reason why people think that he'll be a guard in the NFL is because of his short arms. 
people think that that'll be a problem against faster defensive ends and edge rushers because they think that they'll get like their hands on him and then they'll extend their arms out to where Peter can't reach them and then they'll disengage and they'll get to the quarterback. I don't really see that as a huge problem and I do think that he'll get drafted at least to be a tackle. I don't know if he'll end up being a tackle or a guard, but he'll get drafted to a team that needs a tackle for the purpose of playing tackle. And here's why. Because tackle is a more valuable position than guard. It just is. And in the draft, they see that, and teams will draft him higher when they're valuing him as tackle than they will as a guard. So a team that sees him as playing guard will see him as a 15 to 20 pick, whereas a team that sees him as a tackle will take him maybe 5 to 10 pick, and he'll be gone by the time for the teams that see him as a guard will come around. That's why he'll get drafted as a tackle. Even if he does end up playing guard, it's possible, but he'll get drafted to play tackle. His size, for his size, he's quick, especially his first step, which is pivotal for Lyman. He's a better pass blocker than all the last year's prospects, in my opinion. I could see him as guard. Well, to be fair, all the last year's pass prospects were not the best pass blockers like it wasn't the best pass blocking group aka Kwanu obviously turned into a phenomenal pass blocker but I see him as a better pass blocker than Aquanu or Neil he does a great job engaging with his hands and does not let D linemen or linebackers get their hands on him the only and I mean only thing that I see is that he seems off balance on his first step at times like he's diving to make that reach block which make me nervous because he could miss and then he'd be on the ground and a defensive lineman would be in his backfield. It's not a problem right now because he normally doesn't fall on the ground even though he looks a little bit off balanced and it might never be. And if it becomes a problem, it might not be a huge adjustment. But that's like the one small thing that I will see when watching his film. Sometimes he can get in trouble with his shorter arms, as I've already said, because he can get locked out. But I don't really see it as an issue play to play. It's just like the rare occurrence where people do actually lock him out. And even in those scenarios, he can recover. Like, it's not like these teams or these players are just blowing him out and then he's not recovering and they're getting to the quarterback without any effort. Like, he's still recovering even after these players lock him out. At number one, I have Paris Johnson Jr., left tackle out of Ohio State. He's listed at 6'6", 315. He's just a phenomenal prospect. Great run and pass blocker. He's not a speed guy, but if he fits your scheme, he's extremely dominant. You don't want him reach blocking on every play because his speed is not the best. He's got poor vision, and this could also be blamed on scheme. He'll get beat to the outside every once in a while because he's blocking the wrong guy. Now, at least if you make a mistake, make a mistake to the inside because the outside inside players are obviously closer to the quarterback and harder for a quarterback to avoid. But he does sometimes just completely miss a blitzing linebacker or safety. Not because he can't get to them, but because he doesn't see them. Most of the film I watched of him was Georgia. And Georgia's blitzing scheme does confuse a lot of players. So I don't see this as being a huge problem in the NFL. Plus, it's a very easy fix. You just got to make him keep his eyes up, teach him who to block a little more, uh, tell him these keys to watch for. I love it when an end tries to dive inside on him or outside of him. When they're like when you start inside and go outside or when you start outside or go inside, because he just lays on him. It's funny. He he pancake blocks him almost every single time and then he'll just lay on him. 
he's also a player that will give up a yard or two in order to make sure his man can't get past him. This makes the pocket smaller, but makes sure. But he, this way, he is able to avoid getting beat really, really bad. And I mean, I think he's really, really good at it. Something that is very specific to his game, and it works out really well in a play-to-play basis for him. Well, thank you to listening to my top 12 offensive lineman rankings on Outside Source Football. Please go follow us on OSFB underscore pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And thank you so much for listening, and we'll be right back after a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking free agency. So we'll be talking about all the teams, including the Falcons, the Panthers, almost every single team that made moves in free agency, either big or small. We'll be talking about Jamal Williams and Deron Payne, people like how Kyle Trask is affected by the signing of Baker Mayfield. It'll be super, super interesting. Um, We'll be talking cap space, which is how much a team can have. We'll be talking dead cap, which something that a lot of people don't really understand about the NFL, how cap works and how teams can just keep getting away with signing constant players to new contracts, yet they seem to always have so much money. So I hope that we can make sense of it right here in this next session just for you. And so thank you for listening, and I hope you stick around. See you in a minute. back to Outside Source Football. My name is Evan Mick, a football player here at Hillsdale College, and we're going to do all things free agency. So starting out in the free agency, I have that the Falcons are no longer a bottom five team for me. They're no playoff team, but the addition of a solid defensive guard or offensive guard and a very talented safety in Jesse Bates and Taylor Heineke, who is a solid quarterback. He's obviously no superstar but Taylor Heineke is more than a serviceable quarterback. They're no longer competing for the first overall pick next year. I think that these are mostly solid deals, but they should have came after a rebuild, kind of like what the Lions did where they rebuilt their team through the draft, and then they signed out a whole bunch of players because they're not in a position to make a playoff run. So why are these they adding these random pieces to long-term deals? I don't really know. I don't really get it. But I'm not going to hate on it because it does take them out of the bottom five it makes some fans, you know, come back and want to watch their game a little more. The Bills re-signed Jordan Poyer, a solid two-year deal, and kept Milano, who was an all-pro last year. Obviously, you had to pay him the bag. He was an all-pro, but they kept their two defensive key players. And if they want to keep that championship window open, I really think they did with these two signings. They don't have a lot of time, and these are good moves for them for right now. The Panthers, on the other hand, unlike the Falcons, are now a playoff team. I do think they got scammed a little by the Bears. That's not what I'm talking about by the playoff team. Um, If they end up with a franchise QB in that Bears trade, everything they got rid of will be worth it. 
because DJ Moore was never productive in their offense. He should have been on his way out last year. These other draft picks do not matter as much as a franchise quarterback. You're not going to find a franchise quarterback in the second round. Finding a good player at the best position in football is more important than anything else. So they now have one of the better safety duos. Alongside a decent tight end, they also signed a guy who I thought had an amazingly underrated season last year, Andy Dalton. Now I will say one of the biggest reasons I project them to be a playoff team is because of how bad their division is. They're playing against Kyle Tracks twice a year. They're playing against uh, the Falcons twice a year, who are not that good. And they're playing against the Saints twice a year, who just have a lot of lot of question marks on the Saints team. We don't really know how good Derek Carr will be, but that'll be a race between the, the Saints and the Panthers, and I think the Panthers will win that division. Now the Bears are still a bottom five team, but it's close. Tremaine Edmonds' move is the most confusing move to me in all free in free agency but not because of how much they paid him, but because they had Roquan Smith and they traded him because they believed that middle linebacker was not the most important defensive position, which I can get behind. I don't know if I completely agree with the decision, but I understand the heart of where it comes from. The thing that I don't understand is that why would they then, after trading Roquan Smith, who is better than Tremaine Edmonds, Go sign an off-ball linebacker, same position as Roquan Smith, to a four-year, $72 million contract. With that being said, I don't think this is early or an overpay. I just don't understand the move because they got rid of their middle linebacker. It's not an overpay because in 2026, which is the last year of his contract, he'll be 28. And he'll be getting paid $17 million, which is a, a lot. That's a lot. But... If they cut him, they only have to pay him $2.5 million. So if he's not the guy that they want him to be, they can cut him, and they really do cut a lot of their losses. So if he doesn't pan out to them like he wants to, and even in 2025, which is the year before that, it'll only be $2.5 million more, so it'd be $2.5 million a year that they'd be paying him. And it's just they can cut their losses very, very easily if he's not the guy. And if he is the guy... They can keep him there for $17 million, but I don't understand why they're paying him $17 million if they just got rid of Roquan Smith. Like, that's a part that I don't get. Now, I think the Panthers trade was exactly what they needed. They got back pick 9, pick 61 this year, another first next year, and another second in two years in 2024. Sorry, 2025. And DJ Moore. DJ Moore is not a top five receiver, but he's a phenomenal athlete. And I think that this can allow them to look for an offensive lineman instead of a receiver at the first pick. So then they can get help for Justin Fields in both because they already got him receiving help. Now they can get him offensive line help without feeling like they needed receiving help. The Bengals lost a couple players, but they improved at their most needed position, left tackle, which is the most important position in pass protection. Joe Burrow has been the most sacked quarterback by far the last couple of years. The O-line isn't great, but this makes it much, much, much better. Now, I will say an underrated part of the Bengals the last two years, especially in 2020 during the Super Bowl run, was just how great their defense was. And they lost uh, Jesse Bates, and they lost another defensive piece. I don't remember who. But it's just like those losses are much bigger than people realize because their offense was great, yes, but just an offense doesn't help you keep up with the Chiefs. Just an offense doesn't help you keep up with the Bills. The reason why they were able to beat them in the last two years 
was because of their defense. The Cowboys didn't make a lot of big moves. Stephon Gilmore isn't as solid as he used to be, although he's better in Dallas because of their esteemed pass rush, and he's most likely their cornerback too. It's still not that big of a move. The biggest reason why that is an upgrade, though, for them is not because he's this phenomenal quarter. It's because the other corners on Dallas were just so horrible outside of Trayvon Diggs last year that they cost they cost them games. They cost Dallas games. It was just a huge hole in their offense or in their defense, and it's really good to see them get it fixed up. They franchise Pag Pollard, which is what I expected because it keeps them from making the same mistake that they made with Zeke, signing him to a long contract by giving him a new contract and keeping him around for a long time. Instead, they're keeping Pollard around for a very short amount of time, and they're paying him a decent amount, and they're seeing what how long he can last because obviously the Zeke thing was a mistake. Good for them that they kept Leighton Le- Van Der Esch. He's good. He's back. He fits their scheme. I'm a huge Brandon Cooks fan, but the dude is old and obviously showing signs of slowing down. Now, they did not give up a lot for him, which is good, obviously, you know, for an old guy, but... How in the world do the Cowboys pay more for Brandon Cooks than they got in return for Amari Cooper last year? Amari Cooper was a phenomenal talent, a great receiver. How in the world did you just lose him for a fifth rounder and then you're going to pay more than that for Brandon Cooks? It's just That's the part that doesn't make any sense to me. The signing as a whole is okay. He's slowing down. He's not going to be great for years. But it's a fifth or whatever they gave up for him. Didn't give up a lot. You know, it wasn't a bad trade. They needed receiving weapons, especially losing Dalton Schultz, who was a huge part of their offense. So, I mean, I get the trade. It's just the fact that I'm so frustrated with how bad their Amari Cooper trade was last year. The Broncos spent a lot, a lot, a lot of money on their offensive line. They spent $85 million on a very good right tackle. I think that next year, this means that the Broncos are trying to be a running team. You don't go out and you don't sign a right tackle and a whole bunch of other offensive linemen if you plan on being a pass-blocking team all year. You want to sign Odell or somebody else like that. I think that Sean Payton is beginning to see the holes in Russell Wilson's film last year, and all of a sudden he's realizing, wow, Javante Williams and the run game is our only chance. If Russell has a good enough run game, maybe he'll be decent this year. I also really like the Broncos' one- to two-year signings. Well, they actually probably won't be a playoff team. They don't have to burn all this money, and it's unnecessary. They did still keep a lot of their defensive pieces. Not a lot of them were free agents, I will say. But they have their defense, so they have a chance of making the playoffs, but they just have a very hard division. Oh, my team, the Lions. I'm a miss Jamal Williams. But that stuff that he's saying on the Saints about how he's upset because Detroit disrespected him, We gave him the exact same deal that David Montgomery got. Exact same deal. And we gave him a deadline, and he didn't watch it. A lot of people are saying he should fire his agent. I actually think that's funny. I don't disagree. I just think it's funny. I won't comment on that. But we offered him just as much as Montgomery, and we got Montgomery. David Montgomery is not as much of a personality as Jamal Williams. He's not the guy who's going to get random people who don't know anything about football into a football stadium. But... He's a much better football player, straight up. He's was a captain on the Bears for a reason, so he's still a good locker room guy. Maybe not Jamal Williams good, but he was a captain, so obviously a leader. And he just is a better football player than Jamal Williams. It's just true. He's better athlete. He'll do amazing things. 
he would have broken the exact same touchdown record, I bet you, that, that Williams broke last year. Phenomenal athlete. Very underrated on the Bears for the last couple of years. As long as he stays healthy, I think we'll be more than set at running back. I'm not a fan of Anceloni, but we didn't overpay for him. We didn't give him the bag. So I guess I'm not upset at the re-signing. Kind of same thing for John Kaminsky, but I actually think that John Kaminsky could be a solid rotational guy. I just don't like him in the spot that we have him in. But if we, we would need another defensive end, and there was – I see the re-signing because he's a good rotational guy. He would be a good defensive end three. We just don't have yet the talent to move him defensive end three because we don't have a defensive end two that's better than him. So I guess I see the re-signing because we didn't give him the bag. I love the C.J. Gardner-Johnson move because it was only a one-year deal. I don't think he was as good as people think he was in Philly because defensive backs really, really benefit from defensive line help. But he was a good player, undeniable. And an $8 million one-year deal when we have that money, I'm not upset at all. I also really like the Cam Sutton move. Super underrated. Best out of the Steelers' DBs last year by far. He has phenomenal ball skills. I think he led the league in pass breakups last year. But it allows us to focus on the D-line help in the draft. And I've just that's one thing, probably my favorite thing about these moves, is that we don't need defensive back help anymore. We don't have to draft Christian Gonzalez's pick six. We can get either Will Anderson or Jalen Carter. I think that that's what these moves are doing. I said I wanted one of our other two corners back, but Cam Sutton is much better. And so I didn't expect them to get a guy like Cam Sutton, but I'm so happy that they did. I also really like the Isaiah Bugs signing. Super, super cheap. So I like what the Lions did. Last year they didn't make any big moves, so they'd have the money to make more moves when they were ready to compete. And they did a phenomenal job at doing just that. Great rebuild phase, and I think their championship window is beginning to open here. Aaron Rodgers will be a Jet next year. The trade details are being worked out, but it's a good move for Green Bay. Instead of just being average, this allows Jordan Love, who I think will actually be very talented, just to get his shot. See what you see what you have in Jordan Love. I mean, you draft him in the first round. Colts, good news. Gardner Minshew is your starting quarterback next year. I mean, he's no top 20 quarterback. Maybe top 20. I don't think so. But he's no phenomenal quarterback is what I'm saying. But he's a better starter than you had. The people that you had in your team were horrible. And whoever you got it for would either not be pro-ready or not be as good as Gardner Minshew. So if you draft Anthony Richardson behind Gardner Minshew for a year at four, now that's a good move because Anthony Richardson doesn't have to get thrown into the fire. The Chiefs lost Orlando Brown, who is phenomenal, but they did replace him immediately with Jawan Taylor, the uh, Jaguars left tackle. Orlando Brown is definitely better, but Taylor isn't bad. A little bit of an overpay. But now they don't have to worry about reaching an offensive tackle in the draft when, as I discussed before, those top three guys were obviously the top three guys. They'll probably all be gone by the time the Chiefs pick because they pick last. So they don't have to reach on another offensive tackle that's not worthy of a first-round pick. They can just take the best guy available. I'm a huge Darren Waller fan. The Giants got an absolute steal by only paying a third-round pick for him. I think it's pick 100 exactly. Probably one of my favorite moves in all of free agency. I don't know why the Raiders gave him up so easily. Now, I will say they didn't have a lot of cap space, and this deal is backloaded, so it means that they're giving him money at the end of the contract, which obviously you want to avoid because then at the very end, you're going to be paying them the most money when maybe they're either not worth it or you can't 
just cut them so easily because you are backloading their contract. But still not a guy that I would give up for any pick outside of the top 50. Great move for the Giants, though. Waller is by far their second-best offensive weapon, only behind Barkley. He can even line up at receiver, which would be better for them than any of their receivers by far. And the Giants needed receiving help most of all. Getting a phenomenal athlete at a player of need is just a great move. The Raiders also tagged Josh Jacobs, very similar to the Cowboys tagging Pollard. They also signed Jimmy G, who they can cut in 2024 if they find an actually good quarterback and only pay him $3 million, which is what I predict that they'll do because Jimmy Garoppolo is not worthy of $17 million. So unless he turns into this top 10 quarterback all of a sudden, they'll cut him. I think that they paid him a little bit too much this year, but at the same time, if you have the cap to do it, I guess I see it, but then you have to lose Waller probably. But even after getting him, since they lost Waller, I think that they'd still be in my bottom five. I think the Rams gave up Jalen Ramsey just a little bit too easily. He's an amazing corner who, if he's that bad in 2025 and not worth the money, they could just cut for $3 million. But I also I see how they're moving towards the rebuild and their championship window is probably gone and they might not be ready for 2025. So they probably just took the best offer they were given. So I see the vision. I don't really love the move, but I see it. I get it. The Patriots made a move for Mike Gusecki, who could honestly play receiver for them, and he'd probably be one of their better options. Because, partially, in order to play tight end for the Patriots, you have to be able to block, which Mike Gusecki has really struggled in blocking. He's not a phenomenal blocker. I can't believe the Saints re-signed Michael Thomas. I guess we'll see if he actually plays this year. That's all I'm saying. I don't think he will. He's just, he's just been avoiding the field for so many years, been getting paid sitting on the bench. I also don't know why they re-signed Jameis Winston. Like, it obviously didn't work out with them last year. Why try again? And we know he's going to sit on the bench because you just gave Derek Carr so much money. And I'm not a huge fan of how the Derek Carr contract is filled. So one thing that the Saints are really, really good at is kicking the can down the road. So the money that they need to pay in cap space, so you only have a limited amount, obviously. The money that they need to pay, they just keep pushing it further and further back. And eventually it's going to come back to bite them in the butt. I think it kind of is right now because they're not great. They're not great. And they just keep kicking the can down the road and they're just not going to, they're not getting any better. The Derek Carr contract is extremely backloaded. They're paying him $55 million in 2026. And if they cut him, they'd still be paying him $11 million. So if it doesn't work out in 2026, they're screwed. But I see why they had to backload it because they don't have that much cap space. They screw themselves every year. It's not just that they're screwing themselves in the future. It's that they already screwed themselves now. There's no easy opt-out. And overall, four years, 50 mil, is just a lot for a guy who didn't play that good last year. And I hope it works out. I'm a huge Derek Carr fan. But if it doesn't work out, the Saints are in a lot of trouble. What you're probably hearing about the Giants is that they overpaid for Daniel Jones. You'd be right. $40 million a year for four years is probably double what he's worth. I'd pay him $25 million a year, and that's that's max. I'd probably be willing to give him maybe $20 million, more like. But $25 million a year, max. After the first two years of his contract, the dead cap hit gets better, but it's still pretty bad, reaching about $9 million in 2027 and 2028. So the contract gets a little bit better, but still not that great if they decide to cut him. 
I just don't see it working out. Daniel Jones was not that great last year, even under a phenomenal scheme. Although he didn't have the weapons, I just I don't see it. The Eagles re-signed all their core players, except Javon Hardgrave and C.J. Gardner-Johnson. C.J. Gardner-Johnson was a loss, but not as much as Javon Hardgrave. Hardgrave was an absolutely huge loss. Great sack leader. I think that that's the biggest loss for the Eagles. I think that they need to figure out how to replace him in the draft, and if they don't, It'll be a huge fall-off from last year on their defense. Why did the 49ers sign Sam Darnold? I don't know. I mean, I see that they had a lot of QB injuries, so I guess I see the vision. But Sam Darnold, really? When you can just kind of draft a 6th round, 7th round rookie and he still looks good in your offense, why sign Sam Darnold? I don't know. But I really, really like the Javon Hardgrave signing for the 49ers. Adding to an already elite pass rush. Now, it is a big contract for an older player, but I still think it's a good signing for him nonetheless. Seahawks, great job signing Geno Smith for, great job signing Geno Smith for good money in a horrible market where players like Daniel Jones are getting $40 million a year. Getting Geno back for cheaper than Daniel Jones, great signing. Evan Brown, former Lion, very good guard, which they desperately needed. Another good signing by the Seahawks, who quietly had one of the better free agencies. The Bucks are in trouble. There's a reason Baker Mayfield was cut last year in favor of P.J. Walker and Sam Darnold. And now it's only a one-year deal, and he might be the best quarterback on their roster because of how horrible uh, Kyle Trask is. But he's not good. He's not good. You're in trouble, Bucks. Unless you somehow pull out a miracle and unretire Tom Brady, your quarterback situation does not look good. The Commanders got Darren Payne, and it's a good signing. I also really like the Andrew Wiley signing, but I think these moves are once again coming too early for Washington. I do wonder who their starter will be in quarterback because I signed Brissett, but Sam Howell looked like a dog last year at the end of the year. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. I don't know who their starter will be. I think Brissett played really, really good in Cleveland, and I don't really know how good he'll be at other teams because I thought that that was better than most of the years that he played in previous years. So I guess that that's a super, super interesting quarterback battle. There's a couple players that still need to be signed that I think I have to talk about real quick. Lamar Jackson, who I've heard a lot of reports about. They're trying to drive down the quarterback market. So obviously Atlanta's out, and I think that was the only team that even could have really signed him and kept a realistic roster. And I think that everybody else is out. So I think that this will help other teams drive down the quarterback market. And I think that he'll stay with Baltimore and sign for money that he doesn't really want. OBJ, I have no idea where he's going. Great talent, though. I think that he's one of the best free agents this year, even though he didn't play last year. And even though he was obviously rehabbing last year, I think that he's still a phenomenal athlete. Send some film of him working out. Looks great. Looks prime for him. DJ Chark. Another guy who was had a very good season last year. Now, it helped him to have great wide receiver talent around him. I don't think he'll be productive unless he goes back to the Lions. Or not as, produ- as productive as he was. I think he'll still be a little productive, but not as productive as he was. But solid player. I could see him going a lot of different places. Frank Clark, I really hope he goes to the Lions. Great defensive end talent. We need him really bad. We need another defensive end who we can sign for a decent amount of money, and we can still kind of get away from it, get away from John Kaminsky as our defensive end too. Well, thank you for listening to 1017 Radio Free Hillsdale, Outside Source Football. 
My name is Evan Mick. Uh, go follow us on OSFB underscore pod on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.